Welcome to the Faith Community Church Podcast, a ministry of Faith Community Church in South Boston, Virginia. We're glad you can join us as interim pastor Kyle Julius shares a weekly message to encourage you to deepen your faith in Jesus Christ. Here's Pastor Kyle. Well, good morning, everyone. If you have your Bible, I invite you to meet me in Ephesians uh, chapter 6. We are on the back end uh, of our study that we began in April. It's, it's hard for me to believe that we have been almost a full four months in the book of Ephesians. And uh, while we are about to finish uh, in the next couple weeks this uh, rich, wonderful book, I, I doubt that Ephesians is going to be done with us. While we are going to be finished up with Ephesians, I pray that it continues to have ripple effects in your own discipleship and in the life of the church as a whole. So as we begin chapter 6, I just also, before we start reading, uh, for those who are type A and who want to know what's ahead of them and want to prepare for that, um, you might be asking, well, what are we going to be doing after the book of Ephesians? Uh, Well, I'm glad you asked because I have two books prepared already for us to work through. We're going to look at the book of Jonah after we're done with Ephesians, that's four chapters long. So if you want to start reading that, preparing your minds and hearts for that now, we're going to spend about four weeks in that book, and then we're going to go ahead and try to tackle uh, the giant that is the Gospel of John. And so that's kind of what's ahead, if you were just curious about where we're going to be going after we finish this. So we have a couple more weeks left in Ephesians, which um, is going to be uh, for me, personally, wonderful, because then I don't have to tackle all these, you know, subjects that I've been having to tackle, you know, marriage, and now I have to teach you guys how to be parents, and I'm not even a parent this morning, um, or rather, God is going to speak through His Word on uh, the family. So, anyway, that's where we're heading, uh, just for, uh, just in case you wanted to know where all this is going. So, if you have your Bible and you're already at Ephesians 6, we're going to go ahead and read verses 1 through 4 together. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Would you say a brief prayer with me? Father, we thank you. We come together as your people, expectant that you're going to speak. And so we pray that we would listen. I pray that you would fill me with humility and passion and a tenderness for what you've said. And may I communicate that clearly and boldly and in a way that doesn't muddy the message and in a way that offers Jesus. We pray also, Lord, for other churches in our area. We pray, Lord, that those churches who are rightly preaching the word of God this morning would continue to do so. We pray for those pastors, those elders, those deacons, and other local expressions of your church here in South Boston and Halifax. We pray, Lord, that you would continue uh, to work and move. We pray for those churches, Lord, who are not preaching the word of God. We pray, Lord, that you would convict and challenge and put people in places in those churches where your people could be fed. Lord, may we be mindful that we are not the only ones in this area, and so we want to just come before you, before your throne, and pray for those 
as we pray for ourselves, as we pray that the word of God would increase and would be fruitful among us, we pray that it would also do the same in other churches. So God, as we come to you this morning, we pray that you would speak and we pray that we would listen and we would receive and we would not only receive, but we would be doers of your word. So Father, what we know not teach us, what we have not give us, and what we are not make us, for Jesus' sake, amen. Well, the English Puritan, uh, Richard Baxter, in his manual to pastors, writes this charge. And you know it's already going to be an exciting sermon when I start off with a Puritan, so (laughs) buckle up. Richard Baxter writes, We must have a special eye upon families to see that they are well-ordered and the duties of each relation performed. The life of religion and the welfare and glory of both the church and the state depend much on the family government and duty. If we suffer the neglect of this, we shall undo all. What are we like to do ourselves to the reforming of a congregation if all the work be cast on us alone and masters of families neglect that necessary duty of their own by which we are bound to help us? If any good be begun by the ministry in any soul, a careless, prayerlessness, worldly family, I like to stifle it or very much hinder it. Whereas if you could but get the rulers of families to do their duty to take up the work where you left it and help it on, what abundance of good might be done? I beseech you, therefore, if you desire the reformation and welfare of your people, do all you can to promote family religion. You are not like to see any general reformation till you procure family reformation. While Baxter was writing to pastors, the Apostle Paul writes this morning to a whole church. The Apostle Paul writes to an entire congregation the centrality and the responsibility we have as the family of God to our own individual families that God has assigned to us. And the Apostle Paul's view of the family is just as high and lofty as that of the Puritans. So here's the word of God's message to us this morning. The family functions to fulfill the Great Commission. The family functions to fulfill the Great Commission. And our text this morning gives us two ways, shows us two ways that the family fulfills a Great Commission. The first way we see in verses 1 through 3, the family functions to fulfill the Great Commission when children obey their parents. Uh, Paul begins this section by addressing the children of the church. Now remember, there was no children's church back then, so the children wouldn't be off in a separate area uh, of the congregation. So Paul addresses them as members of the church, which, by the way, just a side note, I think it's helpful for us to know that the Word of God addresses children as though they are actual members, active members of the body of Jesus. And so it's helpful for us to remember when it comes to our kids, when it comes to the little hearts and the little minds in the room, we ought to be paying very much attention to them and feeding them very high, big, lofty doctrines of God 
although they are small in mind and heart, those minds and hearts will grow. And they, do, uh, they are to be treated as though they are part of the family of God. Especially those who profess faith in Jesus. Jesus, the one who said, let the children come to me. He didn't put them off as a side ministry in the church. Paul doesn't treat the children as though they're secondary within the church. He addresses the children. And, it, and if you remember, this letter would have been read aloud. This wouldn't have been given to the elders for them to go ahead and study together in their you know, closed little offices with their you know, lights and pens. This would have been read to the church. And so when Paul writes children in verse 1, the children who were uh, fidgeting around and staring off into space and falling asleep or maybe taking notes or maybe texting one of their friends across the room about how boring the sermon is, would have all of a sudden looked up when the reader of Ephesians would have said, children. The Apostle Paul writes, Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, it's significant that Paul would have even addressed the children of the congregation. Since children uh, were seen as next to, along with women in Roman culture, as not worth addressing, not worth paying attention to, not worth actually communicating something that would have actually benefited and added to the unit of God's family. And so the fact that Paul addresses the children in the congregation, it immediately says something to the children and to the church then and to the church now. Children matter. How children are raised matter. How children are discipled matters. And his first command for the children, as now there he's got their attention, is to obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. In other words, children, obey your parents not in view of your own understanding of how things should be or go, but in view of the Lord. Paul says, obey your parents in the Lord. We've seen this pattern since we started uh, chapter 5 when it comes to relationships with one another and relationships in marriage, that our submissiveness to one another and our submissiveness uh, in marriage and the way that we give ourselves in marriage is always in view of who we are in Jesus. It's always in view of our relationship to the Lord. It has everything to do with who we now are in Christ in this new society, this new family that God is putting together called His church. And so, children, obey your parents in view of Jesus as belonging to Jesus, in view of who you belong to, in view of God the Father, who Paul writes in chapter 3, verses 14 through 15, from whom every family or fatherhood in heaven and on earth is named. Children, your parents are given to you from God to act and make decisions on your behalf for your good and God's glory. And look, this is, uh, we see this aspect. Uh, there are no two institutions right now in our culture being more perverted and more attacked and more turned upside down than the marriage uh, covenant and family. So I think it's just, in God's word here speaks, we looked last week at marriage and now we're looking at children and parents. If you start to notice a pattern in the book of Ephesians, you're, gonna, you're seeing that there is an order to things. There is a good order to uh, relationships and in starting with the husband and wife and then down to uh, the husband and wife as parents in relationship with their children. Uh, culture right now uh, says that children should have more say and more decision-making when it comes to their life and their destiny. Now, it is, 
and it's appalling to me too because if I if my parents let me make half the decisions I wanted to make when I was like ten to fifteen, I would. I, I don't even I don't even know if I would be here right now. I don't I don't even know if I would be like healthy, uh, physically. I mean, think about all the decisions that as you as a child wanted to make. Like if it, if I had it my way, the stuff that I would have had for breakfast would have put me in a diabetic situation right now, or lunch, or dinner, or the the people that I want, or the places that I wanted to go, or the person that I thought I was. I mean, I was as a child. Right? I went from, I think, 7th grade all the way to 10th grade. 7th uh, grade, I wanted to be uh, a member of like Guns N' Roses. 8th grade, I wanted to be on stage with Kenny Chesney. Ninth grade, I wanted to be skating with Tony Hawk. And then 11th grade, uh, I was back to Kenny Chesney. And then 12th grade, I was like doing theater. And all, I, mean, I, like, I was all over the place because ultimately what I was trying to do is I, you know, every year I was trying, I was growing and I didn't really know who I was. And so uh, there is a reason why God... And God, in his wisdom, orders the family in such a way where the children do not make all the decisions. The children do not make all the decisions and should not have uh, more power or authority over the parent in the home because the child doesn't know what he wants to begin with and would make some really dumb decisions. And so Paul says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. But not only is it right, meaning this is God's good order for his glory, but he also quotes the Old Testament in verse 2 when he says, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, verse 3, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So the command to obey your parents, children, uh, it is not uh, some arbitrary, uh, cold, articulated command from God. Although it's a command from God, it comes from God's goodness for you. And if we all remember being children, which I'm sure most of us do, uh, most of the time when our parents gave us instruction uh, or restrictions uh, or time limits or anything like that, we felt as though our freedoms were what? Being robbed. They were being taken from us, that we were, our limitations were actually keeping us from being all that we wanted to be and our best selves and, and enjoying and experiencing certain things in life. And yet God says, uh, we tend to think of rules and restrictions and limitations as things that are going to keep us from enjoying and glorying and flourishing and, and just, that's how we tend to think of commandments, right? We think of commandments in the sense of this is going to keep me from um, from enjoying anything, and yet God's commandment to children here, uh, and really, although it's a, a, a commandment to children, parents, you, ha you have to dial in just as much, not so you can look next to your kids and say, hey, listen to the word of God, but if children are supposed to be and obey their parents, that means parents, you ought to have rules, stipulations, regulations, and you should have things in place so that your kids can't cross that boundary and kind of do whatever they want. So although this is a commandment, to children, it is a reminder to the parents in the congregation to say, hey, rules, limitations, boundaries are good, and they're for your child's good. And that's what, that's what the Apostle Paul is saying here in quoting uh, Exodus 20.12, where God is giving the commandment, and he's saying, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land and that the Lord your God is giving you. And then in Deuteronomy 
Moses writes that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So really in verse 3 we have both Exodus 20.12 and Deuteronomy 5.16. It's easy to think uh, that God's rules, that God's commandments are there to keep us from having fun. But what we see in this commandment to children, we see is put in place so that the children... And think about it. All of Israel... It wasn't just the the little children of Israel, right? When God wrote the commandments to give to his people, all of Israel was known as God's children. And so this is just as applicable to us. Even Even if right now you're not a parent, right? Right now you're already past the age of child, right? When it comes to God, when it comes to the way that God has ordered things, the way that God has ordered life, the way that he's ordered the family, the way that he's ordered all of this, It is for our good, and it is for the children's good, that it may go well and that you may live long in the land. So it's easy, children, when you're tempted to think that your parents are just out to get you or steal your joy, really looking at it through the lens of God's goodness, looking at it through God's patience and God's, God is being for you in this, which parents that just is a reminder for us. It, it's really, um, I, I don't have kids. I have, a, I have a golden retriever. I don't know if that counts. Um, yes, I guess I'm getting some yeses. Okay, all right, golden retriever counts. Uh, what I noticed is that uh, it's really easy as a uh, dog owner uh, to give in to some of the rules I've created, to bend on them a little bit, right? And the only reason why I'm using this as an illustration is because some of you guys know that as parents, what it's like to want to bend on the standards that you've set within the home uh, because you see that it is, you know, making your child sad. Well, I do the same thing with my dog, you know, when, when, you know, I tell him not to jump, but he jumps and he looks cute and he's wagging his tail and he's wanting to, you know, and I'm like, okay, well, he can, he can jump on us. He can dance with us in the kitchen and, and, uh, uh, or he could get on the couch. It doesn't really matter that we said he couldn't get on the couch when we first got him. Just this one time, right? right? We use that logic all the time, not only with, you know, pets, but when it comes to raising our own children, we think, well, maybe this one time, if I, I, don't, I don't want to be too harsh. I don't want to be too hard with my kids. I don't want them to ultimately rebel or be mad or be angry. I want to be their buddy, right? There's also that. That kind of happens in our culture. Parents wanting to be too much of their you know, kids' friends um, you know, growing up. And it, it, it's like, by the way, parents, you're not your kid's friend. You're the parent. So why am I saying this? Because this is here, not only for children, but for parents to remember, God has entrusted you with a child, with a life, with some, with, with not with an individual who would not be able to make the right decisions without you, who would not be able to place themselves into a good position without you. And so when, when God says, children, obey your parents, he assumes that parents are going to set things up in the child's life that is for their good and for their flourishing. God assumes that a parent is going to take the same heart and perspective as God. And right when, we, when, we think about, when you think about your children, when you think about uh, what you want for them, what is it? You want ultimately what God wants for them. You want a uh, long life, you want uh, it to go well with them, and you want them to flourish 
and you want them to be safe and you want them to be healthy and you want them to, to have good morals and you want them to walk in the way that is right. So that requires a lot of the times you doubling down and creating boundaries that might not be fun now, but it's ultimately going to be for their good in the end. Right? And it's not, and this is the exact way that God treats his children. This is the way God interacts. And we're going to see this later on in verses, uh, well, really in verse 4, that God's aim in all of his commandments, in all of his rules, in all of his standards was always for our good, always for our joy, always for our pleasure. And it was never to rob us of anything, but to actually position us in a place where we are in worship, in goodness, all the time. All throughout the book of Deuteronomy, which again, Paul kind of has in the background here in verse 2 as he's quoting the commandment here, one of the Ten Commandments. All throughout Deuteronomy, I encourage you to, uh, this week, if you want to sit down and just kind of do a flyby through Deuteronomy, you're going to see over and over again, Moses write that God gave us these commandments for our good always, for our good always, for our good. And we tend to look at them sometimes, we tend to think of rules, and we think, uh, you know, this is, this is just daunting, and, and, and this is because God doesn't want me to, to have everything. God wants you to have everything, but God wants you to have everything in Him. He wants, you to have, he wants you to experience the highest joy and highest good in Him, and that's set within those parameters. And so, parents, when you're tempted uh, to loosen or make the lines a little bit shorter uh, or, or give in to, you know, you think right now that your kid, this is going to be better for your kid to let him or her go do this or make this decision or, uh, you know, choose this. Just remember that God does not let you choose everything that, he does not let you have everything that you want whenever you want it because he knows ultimately it's for your good and, your, and his glory and your joy, right? Think about it. If you've prayed for something or if you asked for something, imagine if, if, if you prayed and God gave you everything that you wanted at every second of every moment. Some of it might be good and some of it might be for his glory, but some of it might just be for your detriment, right? Think about it. There's been moments in our lives where we've, uh, you know, where we've wanted something that's ultimately rooted in selfishness or ultimately rooted in idolatry or ultimately rooted in something that would, you know, like God in his supreme goodness. I remember Jesus, and I can't remember where it was in the Gospels, but he looks at uh, one of his disciples and says, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more is your Father in heaven know how to give good gifts to his children? And so... We have to remember that there is an order and there is a goodness and there is a command and that command for our families to flourish, for our families to represent the family of God. Then we have to know that these commands are for our good, for our children's good, and God has placed them for us. Uh, so children, uh, one of the best ways to live out your faith in Christ is to live out in obedience to your parents. Uh, this is the most Christ-like thing you can do in your life right now. It is the most Christ-like thing that you can do. And you want to know how I know it's the most Christ-like thing you can do? One of the highest, most Christ-like things really any Christian can do, because just like as we looked at submission for wives last week and how submission was not only a wife thing, look, obedience uh, and submission to a father's will is not just a children thing, that's a Christian thing too. Right? So you want to, parents, you want your kids to walk in obedience and goodness to Jesus when they're older. Teach them to walk in obedience to you now. 
and, 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 and some of you might be thinking, well, what happens if my you know, children strayed away from the faith? I, I'm going to get to that here. But by, by and large, the most Christ-like thing, the reason why it's the most Christ-like thing, children, for you to obey your parents and to honor them is because Jesus, Son of God, God of God, fully God, fully human, submitted to every bit of his Father's will and obeyed his Father down to the last bit. To every dot and iota of the law, Jesus submitted himself under and fulfilled and lived out and walked. And that was God in the flesh. That was second person of the Trinity. So uh, one of the most Christ-like things that we can do is to teach our children to walk like Jesus as Jesus walked on earth towards his Father. And children, the most Christ-like thing that you could do is walk in the path of obedience to your father and your mother, whom God has given for your good. If, if I had a uh, verse, if there's a verse that when, Lord willing, when, when Anna and I start having a family, that I could instill and teach, uh, that I would want my kids to memorize so deeply, is, is Philippians 2.8, where Paul outlines this beautiful picture of Jesus, and he says, in being found in human form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus' obedience produced one of the greatest things in history, right? His obedience, his submission, his uh, walking in every bit of what his father commanded him, that resulted in redemption. That resulted in all of that. And so it, it if, if there's a verse you want to teach your, your child, don't, don't, here's, here's one of the things that I think children struggle with when it comes to obeying parents, is there's no why behind it sometimes. Right, there's no, like, when I was growing up, uh, I, I, I was, like any kid, I would ask why a lot. And sometimes I asked why, because I knew it got on my parents' nerves, and, you know, uh, and I was just being me. Uh, but a lot of the times when I talk to people, you know, about their growing up or when I remember my growing up, sometimes I, I would just be told to do something just because. It was always because I said so or because I'm the parent. Well, yes, that's true. You are the parent. But parents, give your children something greater. Give them something better to actually want to walk in obedience. Give them Jesus. Right? If, if, if my parents, and I did not grow up in a Christian home, so if, if you grew up in a Christian home, children, if you're in a Christian home, just give God the glory. Be, be absolutely grateful for that. But my parents, um, I, I would have, it would have been so much different if they would have just sat there and gave me something more than their own word to walk in obedience. Right? And we're going to see in verse 4, parents, your job is ultimately to disciple and give your kid Jesus. So in uh, rules and regulations and commandments, give them something to walk in obedience to. Not just your word, but God's word. Give them someone who they can actually look at and model. Because 
you're going to be imperfect, you're going to fail, you're going to have flaws, there's going to be moments where you're not walking in perfect obedience to what you've been called to do as a parent or as a Christian. So our job, right, with the children in the church, when we say, don't do this or do this or walk in this way, it's always because, because of Christ, because Jesus did this, because Jesus did. And look at Jesus who was, who was who is king of the universe, creator of all that there is, and yet he walked in humility and obedience to his father, and he did it joyfully. He did it joyfully. And so when we create rules, when we, when we ask our children to obey, we should start where the apostle Paul started. Children, son, daughter, obey in the Lord. Because Jesus submitted to his Father. Because Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And the whole Christian life is about obedience. So don't just obey to me because of what I said or because I want you to do what I want you to do or be a certain way that I want you to be. But be obedient because that's what the essence of the Christian life is, is to deny yourself, follow Jesus, submit yourself under the lordship of Christ. When our children are being taught to obey rules and regulations, it's not because we want them to say, hey, do all these things and you're going to earn salvation, but do all these things because this is how it is to live a Christian life. This is how it is to be under the lordship of Jesus. And when you teach your kids to obey parents, also mention, I'm just as much under authority as you are. Let your kids see that you walk under authority. Let your kids see that you... One of, the, one of the things that I struggled with so much as a kid is, uh, is my dad's responses of, of, you know, listen to me, do this, don't do this, and he, only because his only sole reason was because I can. I've, I've actually heard him say that before. Be like, I, I would say no or I would say this because I can. And what he was communicating to me is that he had no source of authority and he was just kind of dictating, right? So this... This obedience comes from you being under obedience. Let your kids see you be under some authority other than yourself. We do that primarily. We talked, uh, we talked about last week, uh, husbands meditating and being in the word of God, being within the family of God, submitting yourself to one another out of reverence for Christ. Right? Give your kids... Parents, if you want your kids to obey, give them something worth obeying for. Give them the gospel. Give them Jesus. Let them hear Jesus. Give them a reason more than just because I can or because I said so or because uh, I'm the parent or because, you know, or because, or, or whatever it might be. And children, obey your parents. If you have a Christian mom and dad, children in the room, kids in the room, uh, and I'm using children loosely, anyone who's under 18, basically, anyone who's, or anyone who's really living in the house right now and, you know, parents are still paying for everything. Um, <laughs> you know, that kind of falls under children. Uh, obey because it's the most Christ-like thing you can do right now in your life. And I don't think we outgrow this. I mean, some of us who still have parents a lot, even, even if we don't live in our, in our own households right now, you know, Paul quotes the fifth commandment, honor. It's honor your father and mother. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 2, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus... 
then to be disobedient to your parent is to look just like the world. Right, children, um, those who are children. There's a list in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 2 that Paul says, here's all the marks of the people of the world. Disobedient to their parents is one of them. And as we've seen in the book of Ephesians, God is creating a new society, a new household, a new people that walk in light, who are light. The second way that we see the family functions to fulfill a great commission. Again, uh, parents, you have kids. Uh, your kids are not born believers, by the way. Just because they, they grew up, just because they're born in your household, doesn't mean they're believers. Doesn't mean they're automatically um, you know, part of the covenant family, right? So your, the, way you, the, way, the rules and the regulations and everything you put in place and, the, the, and how you challenge your kid to uh, obey, right, is part of fulfilling the Great Commission. When I say offer Jesus to them and all your reasons why they should obey you and all your rules and stipulations is because that's fulfilling the Great Commission. What was the Great Commission? To go out and make disciples. Look, when you have kids, you don't just have kids. You have little you have unsaved people in your home that you have a call to then go make disciples. The second way the Great, uh, the great Commission is fulfilled in the family, or the family functions to fill the Great Commission, is when parents disciple their children. And I've already kind of hinted at this already in the first couple verses, but Paul ends this section here with fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, I don't know why Paul decided to solely address fathers because mothers are included in the uh, action and in the uh, charge to bring up their children in discipline and instruction of the Lord. Um, he may be addressing fathers because as we looked uh, earlier in this passage, the husbands had a whole lot of weight to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And part of the way that they did that was uh, the ministry of the word in their own homes. And so Paul could be saying, hey, fathers, because usually fathers are more prone uh, to provoke to anger, to be a little bit more on the stern side, to be a little bit more reactionary. And so Paul could be saying, fathers, the responsibility that you have is weighty. And the influence you have is weighty. So fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Uh, in, in other translations, Paul, uh, it says, um, fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Or Actually, that's in Colossians 3.21, which is kind of the cousin of Ephesians. Uh, so in Colossians, he says, do not discourage your children. Uh, and in Ephesians, he's using the provoke your children to anger. Uh, what is the call here? If we could just kind of sum this up and boil it down, what is the call in verse 4? Well, I, I find it helpful uh, to usually sum something up by saying what it is not or what the opposite is and then go ahead and disclose what it really is. Um, what does it look like to discourage or make bitter or stir up anger in your child? Well, here are a few ways. Now, Paul is not saying don't make your children mad, right? Because you're going to make your children mad, right? Some of you guys who have a kid who is past a day old know that you're going 
to do things, that anger. And if you're doing it the right way, by the way, can I just encourage you parents, if you're doing something well, your kids are probably gonna be mad at you sometimes. It's just how life goes. So what does Paul mean when he says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger or in Colossians, discouragement? Well, all of that falls under this kind of bitter, bitterness or this, um, you know. So here's, here's a few ways that we can do this. Here's what Paul is talking about. Uh, don't be indifferent to their needs. Don't be indifferent. Don't live vicariously through them and place a weight of expectation on them. You know, I've spent enough time in, in some other churches. Um, it's, it's interesting. You can, start to, you can begin to see the idols that people have in their lives pretty quickly. Spend enough time with people, you can start to really get to see what they love and what they value the most. I can't tell you how many baseball parents that I've met who live vicariously through their kids by bringing them to every tournament and keeping them plugged into every little thing that it has to do as if their kid's going to become part of a pro Major League Baseball um, association, which they're probably not going to. But here's what I've noticed. Um, that, not only with that, it's, it's a host of other things, but parents live by, it's parents living vicariously through their children. Most parents drive their kids to be a part of all of that all the time and eat up all their space with it, not because, uh, most of the time, not because they just want to see their kids succeed, but because they want to relive their own glory days through their kids. There's a lot of parents like that, and I don't have to be a parent to know that. I just have to spend a lot of time with parents, and I was in youth ministry for about eight years, so I spent a lot of time with parents. It's easy to spot when a parent wants to live vicariously through their kid. And what happens when you live vicariously through your kid, uh, trying to make up for all the things you couldn't accomplish in your life, you place a weight of expectation on them, and they're going to crumble under it. They're going to feel that. They're going to sense it. They're going to know it. That's not your job to live the life you didn't get to live through your kid. That's one way that we can provoke a child to anger. I, can't, I have talked to kids who don't want to do what they're doing and they're consumed with and that they're great at. because Why? Because their parents drive them to it all the time. It's, it's, it's what they eat, breathe, and sleep. It, it consumes them. Another way that we can discourage or make bitter or provoke a child to anger is to control them. Look, your authority, parents, over your children is not supposed to be expressed in a dictatorship, right? That's what I was just talking about a couple minutes ago when you say, because I said so, because I'm the parent, because I have the power. That's what you're doing. You're communicating, I'm an authoritarian dictator. We could speak harshly with them. Look, your words are powerful. What you say to your kids over and over again and how you say it to your kids is going to affect them as they grow up. You can be a hypocrite. You could come to church on Sunday and you can sing to Jesus and you can act another way in your home. You want your kid to walk away from the faith pretty quickly? Don't take your faith seriously. Profess to be one thing on Sunday and then be an entirely different person on Monday through Saturday. You want to drive your kid away from the faith? You want to drive him to anger? You want him to be bitter, her bitter, her to be discouraged? Do that. Be overbearing. Be a helicopter snowplow parent. Not those. Make every appointment for your kid. Don't let him do anything super adventurous or super out of the norm. Don't let him to go. Don't let, don't let him or her go to a dangerous place on a missions trip because it's going to be too dangerous, right? 
be overbearing or let them have whatever and do whatever they want. Let them drink as much Mountain Dew, let them eat as much as they want, let them play as much Fortnite as they possibly can. These are all prime examples of what Paul is talking about here. Do not provoke your children to anger. Sure, you give your kid whatever they want right now, they might not be angry right now, but when they they reap the repercussions of all of what they were able to have or all the hypocrisy they saw in their home, they're going to be angry. So what is Paul saying to do? In saying, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And we know that discipline and that instruction does not come from control, living vicariously, being indifferent, speaking harshly, being overbearing, or any of that. What does it mean? It simply means this. Disciple your kids. Disciple your kids. We're like, well, how do I disciple my kids? Well, Scripture gives us a little bit of insight into this, primarily in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 8. Hear, hear the word of God from Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 8. Um, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates. In other words, go to Hobby Lobby and pick up some scripture verses, put them on your walls, make sure your home is a place where the gospel can't be ignored, where it's talked about, where it's seen, where it's sung about, where it's read about, where it's offered over and over and over again. I hope one day that more children come to faith in Jesus just by being at home than they are in church. Why? Because their parents are lifting and exalting in Jesus just as they would on Sunday morning, Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday. Look, the instruction to disciple your kids, there's no like I don't have like a here's a seven-step process of how to disciple your kids, right? Because just like uh, wives submit to your husbands, there's no real practical step to do that because every marriage looks different. Look, every household looks different. Um, Every situation looks different. What you guys are going through with your kids or what you've been through with your kids who have already grown is how to handle and approach that as a case-by-case basis. But look, here's what God says in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 8. Here's what we do know what to do. Here's how we disciple our kids, right? Um, First of all, we have to know and be deeply acquainted with our God, right? Because the opening of the Shema is here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. In other words, Israel, know me. Know me well. Follow me. Cling to me. Know about me. And then he says, then you shall teach them diligent to your children and talk of them when you sit in your house. In other words, when you, it, it, you don't, again, you don't have to bring up a pulpit in your living room and preach an hour-long sermon like the Puritans used to do in their homes. Um, and if it works for you, fine, go ahead. Um, but this is simple stuff. You know, you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit down in your house. In other words, when you have dinner, when you have breakfast, when you sit down in your living room. How often do you speak of your children about the things of the Lord, the things that the Lord is stirring up in your heart, about who God is and what God has done? And then he says, and when you walk by the way, when you're walking by one another, 
When you're just doing life, everyone thinks sometimes like discipleship, it like requires, you know, just this formal process of like, you know, sitting down with a systematic theology book and the Bible and kind of working through Greek and Hebrew, right? I promise you, that's, that's not, that's seminary. That's not discipleship uh, per se. The word of God is very practical for you here, right? It actually caters to your busy, uh, wild lifestyle, right? Because God is saying, okay, these, my people are going to be on the move constantly. So when you sit down, when you have dinner, when you do this, when you're walking by in the way, when you're going to the next event, uh, to when you're dropping the kids off at school, when you're dropping the kids off at sporting events, when you're doing this, when you're, when you're, when you get, when you're getting the groceries, when you're, all of this stuff, talk about God. Talk about the gospel. Talk about how that's working in your children's heart. It says when you walk by the way, when you lie down at night, when you rise, Right? Um, we have friends, friends of ours uh, in their bathroom. They have little uh, post-it notes on their bathroom windows with scripture verses on it. So when they wake up in the morning, that's the first thing that they're confronted with. Right? Again, just as uh, husbands, when, uh, when the word of God charged us to sanctify our wives with the washing of the word of God, it's as simple as maybe having a verse of the week up in your home. Ch- look, discipleship within your family doesn't need to be complicated. It's actually really simple and it isn't that difficult if only you would also be under discipleship to Christ yourself. And just find, be creative about it. Inundate your children with the gospel, with the personal work of Jesus Christ. Because if you won't disciple your kids, I promise you, the world will disciple them. They will disciple them. The video games that our children are stocked, piled up on, are going to disciple our kids. The music that they're listening to is going to disciple our kids. They're going to disciple them. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, the news, like ideologies coming at them like wildfire. That's all going to disciple them if you do not disciple your kids in the word of God, in the person work of Jesus, if you do not offer up the gospel in every opportunity that you have. Not just on Sunday morning. Yes, bring your kids to church. Yes, let them listen to the subpar sermons coming from the pulpit. Uh, yes, uh, you, know, you, know, you know, make them only watch pure flicks or whatever. But more than that, teach, love, talk about, walk, meditate on, be a Christian. Just be a follower of Jesus and bring them along for the ride with that. Your children should not feel or see a disconnect from what happens here and what goes on in your home. Uh, Moses continues in, in that same chapter of Deuteronomy, starting in verse 20. He says, when your son asks you in the time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your sons, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there, that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day, and it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he commanded us. Deuteronomy 6, 20 through 25. 
Notice he begins with the son asking, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes? In other words, make space in your home for conversations and explanations. Look, parents, it is your job to explain, not only share the gospel, but to explain the gospel, to actually have an apologetic in your own home. Don't let your kids go to college and hear from another professor about what the gospel is or what the Bible teaches. Make sure your home is just as much a seminary and a place of learning and a place of conversation as the universities are, because that should be the safest place your kids should have have conversations and ask questions about what this means and why this is happening and why should we trust this and why should we give our lives to the Lord our God and your response should be because of the great redemption he has shown us in Jesus and let me help you understand that and walk in it let me help you process it what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes parents are you ready for your kids to ask you what the meaning of all this is Are you ready for your children to ask you questions about Christ, about the gospel, about the world, about the meaning of life? There are some people that I've met who have never had a spiritual conversation with their parents, and it is just heartbreaking. Paul writes, don't just bring them up in discipline which should have the same aim that God the Father has with us, by the way, in the way he disciplines us. But instruct them. Give them explanation. Give them answers. Give them the word of God. Don't just give them that the the Bible is the word of God. Give them the actual word. Give them what's said and what's written and why you can trust that. And if you don't know how to answer that question, that's one of the beauty of being in the body of Jesus. Somebody will be able to help you out, right? Um, As I'm preaching, you know, uh, parents, you know, discipline your kids, raise them up in the instruction of the Lord. Do you know you don't have to do that just husband and wife, but you have husbands and wives. You have a whole family that God has created for you to help you and aid you in that. I mean, it's only in our culture, I think, in our Western kind of independent culture where it's like, no, this is all on me, this is all on me. Yes, the resp- ultimately the responsibility is on the parent. But look, use the body of Jesus, right? If you don't know how to answer, if you don't know how to do this, if you're just kind of at your end, uh, your wit's end, and you don't really know what to do with this, you don't know how to discipline your child in this area, you don't know what to do with this issue that's uh, come up, man, bring that to the people that you love and trust most. Bring it to the body of Christ, We shouldn't be that disconnected from each other. We shouldn't just be sitting next to each other on Sundays, but we should be talking and sitting around each other's tables, in each other's homes, at each other's back porches, trying to figure this out together. Man, how do I instruct my kid in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? Uh, Look, younger parents who have two, three, four, five-year-old kids, you have other parents sitting next to you whose whose children are already grown up and they've already gone through this process. Man, get with them. Talk about it. You, it's okay if you don't have your household completely under control. It's okay if your kid is just ADHD off the wall wild, or he's asking, she's asking questions, or, or they're coming into a space of life right now where they're struggling with something. Look, go to somebody in the body of Christ and open the Bible, open, get with the, pray with the people of God, and just seek God in and figure this out together. We have so much resource here in the body of Christ, and we just don't utilize it. We don't utilize it enough. And for those who have children who are already grown up, 
I know some of you have kids who are in college, who are out of college, and you might be thinking, well, how does this message even apply to me right now? Well, here's the beauty about the family of God, is it is a family. Meaning, just because your kids have moved on, and they're out of the house, and they're at college, or they're doing their own thing, or they're having families of their own, it does not free you up to then not be a spiritual parent. It doesn't free you up to just chill. You know, find a younger person within the church and mentor them, disciple them, sit with them, pour into them the word of God. I am only the follower of Jesus I am. I am only uh, the husband that I am right now. I am only the pastor or the preacher that I am right now because two guys uh, who I am not their biological son decided to take me in and make me feel as though that I was. Two people in the body of Christ decided to be dads to me. And because of that, because of that, I am where I am now. I am who I am now. I'm standing where I'm standing now. Look, you have a role within the family of God, even though you think that because your parent or your children have left, then all of a sudden you're not a parent anymore. No, you're a parent. You're a parent to the people of God, to the family of God. Find somebody. Find a younger person and get with them. Have coffee with them. Open up your Bible with them. Ask, let them field questions to you. And there's no age limit on this, by the way. I'm 28, almost 29. Uh, and I still call my mentor every, I, at least four or five. I have to give him a break this week because he's on vacation, so I really can't call him. But I call him every, almost every single day, and I'm like, I have no idea what to do. I have no idea uh, what it looks like to respond in this way or, like, or, or how, do, how do I do this right now? And he is still preaching the word of God to me. He's still pouring wisdom into me. He's still discipling me. And so it doesn't matter if you've got a 25-year-old sitting next to you. Look, if you're later on in life, you have a lot to offer that person, that 25-year-old, that 16-year-old, that whatever. Man, disciple one another. Because if you start discipling one another, it makes it that much easier to disciple your own home. And this is why the Puritans emphasize family worship and family discipleship. Because if the church is going to be a bunch of little disciple makers, right, it has to start in the home. It has to start in the initial family of God for that to actually pour over into the family of God redeemed by Jesus. And it's helpful for us to remember as we wrap this up that the reason why I know just because your children are grown, you might be thinking, man, I didn't really do that great of a job when my kids were in my home anyway. Look, there is more redemption and grace in Jesus. To do. Look, you have more opportunity. You have more opportunity. You have more grace. As long as right now you are still here, you have more grace and more opportunity uh, to, to disciple, to love, and to raise. Um, Paul's writing to a church, remember. He's writing to a whole church. This church could have, you know, a church has 
everybody from those who've lost their children, those whose children are grown, those whose children who've strayed from the faith, those whose children who are doing great and who are close by still, those whose children who live far away, right? Paul is writing this to a whole congregation and it's all read out loud. So when he says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, he, he assumes other fathers are hearing that. He assumes that people who were fathers have heard that, people who were, who were mothers have heard that, and they know that the, the weight that that father and mother has to bear on their lives, it's going to require the entire congregation. If Paul just wanted to write this specifically to individual parents, he would have done it, but he writes it to a church. So church, as you raise children, be the church. Invite the church in. And this is all of the letter of Ephesians is about the church, right? This is what it means when Paul says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ, in chapter 4, verse 13. Take the discipleship of your family seriously. If you do that, then all of this, all of what happens here on Sunday is just going to be an overflow of what's happening in your own homes. And do it with one another. Do it with one another. Jesus, Jesus redeemed us and saved us and called us for this very act. And as long as you're still sitting here, as long as you're still breathing, it doesn't matter how you've parented, where your kids are, what's going on right now, you still have a call, and there's abundant grace for that call. God's not going to call you to do something that he's not going to supply you for. So take courage, take confidence, and go out and make disciples because the family of God, this little body right here, is for the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Starting in your own homes and throughout the rest of the South Boston community, throughout the rest of the world, go make disciples with your family and with the family of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have ordered the family in such a way as to fulfill the call you, you've ordered the family in such a way that actually brings people into the family of God. Father, help us to remember that the families you've given us, that the kids that you've given us, that the parents that you have made us is not ultimately for us. It's not ultimately to find fulfillment in the thing itself, but to fulfill the end goal of making disciples of Jesus Christ. I pray that we would see our kids as those who need Christ and who don't need uh, un expectations that they can't fulfill, but Jesus. Help us to see our kids as those who are our call. And then in turn, help us to see our churches and the people that walk into our churches and the fatherless, the, the motherless, those, to see them as part of our family, as our responsibility as disciple makers. Lord, we pray that we would keep this in mind in the midst of a dark culture that says family is whatever we want it to be. Help us, Lord, as your family, as your people, to function in a way that reaches those without the gospel with the gospel. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We pray for more grace to continue to go about this work. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about Faith Community Church, you can find us online at fccsobo.com org, or on our Facebook page by searching Faith Community Church. As always, God loves you, we love you, and we hope you have a wonderful week.